All right, if you got your Bible, and I pray that you do, let's go to the book of Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. We're actually going to walk very quickly through 53 and 54 because I want to bring you up and show you the the context of how we get to um, Isaiah chapter 55. But we're going to go ahead and read this morning from Isaiah 55, all 13 verses, verses 1 through 13. And we do like to stand in giving reverence to um, this living and powerful Word of God. Isaiah chapter 55. If you're there, say amen. If you ain't there, say hold on. There's always one. All right. Isaiah chapter 55, beginning in verse 1. It says, Come. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast and sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. Seek the Lord while He may be found. There's a time limit on this thing. You know that, right? Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. He won't always be near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for He will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish that which I purpose, and it will succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. You can be seated. Today we're going to spend some time in Isaiah 55. We're going to be looking at the book of Isaiah almost as a whole. But we're going to focus our attention on God's invitation to righteousness and inheritance. God's invitation to righteousness and inheritance. The heart of this message is going to come from Isaiah 55, but I want to take you back and I want to give you just enough of Isaiah so that you can... Put it all in context. So please don't get bored with me right off the start. 
Stay with me so that you can see how we get to Isaiah 55 and so you can see what God is actually doing here in the book of Isaiah, at least in this section of it. Isaiah is a book about God's chosen people, Israel, and he's making them aware of their sin condition against him. He's helping them to understand that the reason why they endure the things that they endure is because there is a curse on this world and He is refining them like, like gold in, in a refiner's fire. He's trying to remove all the impurities and unfortunately the only way that God can draw us to Him is through suffering. I wish there were another way. But the truth of the matter is we are such prideful people that when everything is on top, Y'all know where I'm talking about, right? When everything's going right and, and the job is good and the money is good and the kids are healthy and the marriage is good, when everything is good, do you spend most of your time with God? No. You spend most of your time seeking everything else and, and walking away from God. And so, unfortunately, the only way that God can draw us to Him is He has to humble us. He has to show us that without Him... We are hopeless. Without Him, we have nothing. Without Him, you don't even take your next breath. Your breath that you broke. When you, when you suck in air, you suck in the mercy of God. Because you don't even deserve that. You are an enemy of God in your sin. He created you for a purpose and instead of living for His purpose, you make a decision that I'm going to get up every day and I'm going to live for my purpose. And because of that, the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so Isaiah is a book that is pointing out God's chosen people, Israel, and their failure to live for Him, and their, their walking away from Him, and Him bringing them into judgment to show them their sin condition, and He's calling them to account for it. He wants them to see that they need a Savior to pay for their sin. That you can't just, if God is a just God, then you can't sin against Him and then all of a sudden just come back and say, Oh, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And Him say, Well, sure, no harm done. Because that's not true. The harm is done. You have just made an infinite offense against an infinite God. And as a result of that, if God is holy and God is just, then justice must be served. God's wrath must be satisfied. When somebody wrongs you, you expect them to pay for their wrong, correct? We desire justice. Well, God is a just God. And He is going to see that every wrong is righted, especially the wrongs against Him. And so as a result of this, a Savior must come in and a Savior must pay for our sin to bring us back into relationship with God. God is loving. God is forgiving. God is kind. God is gentle. But God is also just. And justice must be served before you can experience the mercy of God, the love of God. And so a Savior must come in and pay for the sin condition. In chapter 48, you don't have to turn there, I'm just going to take you up to this. In chapter 48 of Isaiah, God explains to them in verses 10 and 11 that He put Israel in judgment of Babylon so that they would be refined. In other words, I'm removing the impurities from you. I'm trying to show you that you're not right with me. The whole purpose of suffering in a sinner's life is so that that sinner will look at his life and go... Things should not be this way. The whole reason 
the failing health of us and our loved ones comes into the picture is so that when you're sitting by the bed of your loved one watching them suffer, it is meant for us to look at it and go, the world is not supposed to be this way. And God looks back at you and He says, you're right. It's not supposed to be. But it is because of your sin against me. And it's meant to remove the impurities in our life. It's meant to draw us back to Him. Just like, just like a, a, a refiner puts gold in his fire. He's waiting for all of the slag and stuff to come to the top so that he can rake it off and he can get, out, get it out so that the only thing that is left is the pure gold, is what is good. And that's exactly what God is doing with His children here in Isaiah. In chapter 49... God promises that He's going to send a servant. He's going to send a Messiah to redeem and to restore His people. In chapter 50, it's about the Lord's servant teaching God's Word that when I send my servant, when I send my Savior, He's going to teach you the Word of God and He's going to be completely obedient to God and He's going to satisfy all of God's requirements that you failed at. And so 49 is about that, and then you get into chapter, um, I'm sorry, 50 is about that, and then you get into chapters 50 and 51, and God says, My salvation is coming to everybody that pursues righteousness and seeks that righteousness from the Lord. Everybody that calls upon the Lord for salvation and understands that I can't do it without Him, my salvation is coming, my Savior is coming. But then we get to Isaiah 53. And here's where I want you to follow along with me. We're going to go through it very quickly. In Isaiah chapter 53, God gives a prophecy that many of the physical seed of Abraham, the children of Israel, the Jews as we know them, many of the Jews are going to reject this coming Savior. Now remember, he's walked up to this point and he's saying, the Savior's coming, the Savior's coming, the Savior's coming. I'm going to send the Savior and this is what he's going to do. He's going to redeem you. He's going to restore you. But many of you are going to reject Him. Many of you are not going to receive Him. And 53 is a prophecy about their rejection of this Messiah. But what you're also going to see is that every Jew that will ever be saved from the time of Jesus onward, they are the ones that are going to say what you're reading in Isaiah 53. In the book of Romans chapter 9, I'll read this to you, verse 27 through 29, this is what it says. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. Now you think about this. Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out His sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us an offspring, we would have become like Sodom and like Gomorrah. You remember what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? And here's what Isaiah says prophesying about the Jews. He says that so many are going to reject God in Christ, His Savior, that if God hadn't just saw fit to save a remnant of them, then we would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah. We would have just been destroyed and wiped out. And now Isaiah 53 is a prophecy about what this remnant of Jews, these few that are saved, they're going to look back 
and they're going to see Jesus for all that He is, and they're going to say what we're going to read in Isaiah 53. So read along with me and let's see how they respond. He says, Who has believed what He has heard from us? How many of them were saved? A remnant, right? And He says, Who believed it? Who believed it? And really, nobody believed it. Paul, he was a Jew, he believed it. A few of the fishermen that Jesus called to himself, they believed it. A few more of the Jews here and there, they believed it. But only a few actually believed it. Who believed it? And then he says next, And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? In other words, who did God show his power to through this Messiah? To the Jews. He came to the Jews first. He showed power over over uh, sickness. He showed power over winds and waves. When he said, peace be still, what do the waves do? He showed power over everything. And they still didn't believe it is what he said. Now I'm not putting them down because we, many of us, fall in the same category, okay? I'm just telling you where their perspective is. And then verse 2 he says, For he grew up before him like a young plant, he, in other words, he came up before all of us and he was like a, a tender plant that came up. He was just this little kid from Nazareth, a carpenter's son. But the problem was that he was like a root out of dry ground. In other words, he was a nobody. He was nothing. We didn't look at him and think, this is a king. We didn't look at him and think, this is the Savior. He's nobody. He's like a... He's like a root that just came out of dry ground. You just pluck him up and you get him out of the way. And then he goes on in the next verse or the next section. He says, He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. Now, I want you to pay attention to how we know that this is a prophecy about them looking back. I want you to notice the past tense verbs. If you're in my Wednesday night study class, you know what I'm talking about here. I want you to notice the past tense verbs. Look at what it says right here. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty. Not he will not have form or majesty. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. He had no beauty that we should desire him. So this is a group of people looking back, right? But what's amazing about this is, do you know when this was written? 700 years before He came. God gave them 700 years to look at and go, this is what's going to happen. And just as an interesting note, the, um, the Jewish synagogues have a calendar of readings, yearly readings that they do for every Sabbath. Did you know... And I found this on a website called Jesus, Jews for Jesus. But I also went back and looked at it myself, backed it up to know that it's true. Did you know that Isaiah 53 is completely omitted always from the Jewish yearly calendar readings? Ain't that a coincidence? Ain't that interesting? I'll tell you why they say this. One Jewish scholar, Claude Montefiore, just so you know who, who said it, 
he, uh, he's a Jewish scholar and he explained it like this. He said, because of the Christological view, or in other words, because of the interpretation that is put on Christ, given to it by the Christians, it is omitted from our series of teachings. That's interesting to me. Because if it don't point to Him, you know what? I got no problem teaching it, right? But instead, they see this, and because you can't explain it away, the best thing to do is just omit it. Now again, I'm not trying to put down the Jewish people. They, they were God's chosen seed. I'm not trying to put them down. There have been many of us Gentiles that have rejected Him just the same, okay? But just go along with me. Keep looking at these past tense verbs. Uh, verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men. He was despised, past tense verbs, and he was rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, let me get in my Bible, he was despised and we esteemed him not. All those things say, listen, he was a man that was just full of sorrows. He was full of griefs. He didn't have no beauty that we should desire him. He had no form. He was a nobody. That's why we didn't believe in him. He was a nobody and we rejected him. He's the kind of man you turn your face against. He despised and we esteemed, he was despised and we esteemed him not. And notice the we's there. We should look at him. We should desire him. We esteemed him not. Past tense verbs and plural pronouns. This is not a single person talking. This is a group that's looking back and they're saying, we saw him, the message was preached to us, but we didn't believe. We didn't believe it. But now I have a group of our people that our eyes have been opened and we're looking back and we're going, how did we miss it? I don't want to be included in that group, do you? You know, one of the scariest things about hell and about spending an eternity in a lake of fire in the wrath of God paying for my own debt, one of the scariest things for me is that it was so escapable. Here I am with no hope for eternity. And it was so escapable. That's what's so scary about this. Keep going with me in verse 4 i, I got to go quicker. We're going to go through it quicker. Surely He has borne our griefs. In other words, the griefs from not believing. Surely He has borne our griefs. So now we're feeling this grief. Now we're looking back and we have these sorrows and this grief and we're feeling this. But surely the reason why He was acquainted with grief, the reason why He was a man of sorrows is because surely He has borne our griefs, and surely He's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. In other words, we thought God was punishing Him for blasphemy. We thought the reason He suffered the way that He was was because He called Himself the Son of God and He was a nobody. And we looked back at Him and we didn't, we didn't believe Him. And so we thought God was punishing Him. But in verse 5, look what he says. But, I love that first word, but he was actually pierced for our transgressions. God, God wasn't smiting him uh, because of his blasphemy. God wasn't punishing him for his sin. He was pierced for my transgressions, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. 
and with his wounds we are now healed. And then look at verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Here you see the doctrine of total depravity right here. They finally look at it and they say, the whole world is in need of him. The whole world is sinners. The whole world is enemies against God. And unless a Savior comes in, we are hopeless. We have all like sheep gone astray. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. This is amazing. Remember, 700 years before Christ comes. Are y'all tracking with me here? This is the clearest picture of the gospel anywhere in the Bible. Even reading it in the Gospels themselves, you don't even get as clear a picture as you get it right here. Verse 8, By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered? Here we got this remnant of Jews looking back. As far as his generation, who even thought about it? Who even took it to consider it? That he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, Jews, looking back. And they made his grave with the wicked. You remember where Jesus was crucified? Between two what? And they made his grave with the wicked. And with the rich man in his death. Do you remember where he was buried? Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was God's will to crush him. And he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring and he shall prolong his days. Listen to this. Here you have the resurrection. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. In other words, he's not going to be left dead. He's going to see the ones that are going to come after him and he shall prolong his days. Not only that, but now he will die no more. Now he rises again to never die again. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. But now we move. I want you to notice that we're fixing to move away from past tense verbs and plural pronouns to now we're fixing to move to future tense verbs and singular pronouns. Look at this next verse right here in verse 12. Therefore, what's that next word? We now go from, we didn't see this, we didn't understand this, we didn't believe this. Now we know to, therefore, I, and this is God speaking, therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. In other words, I'm going to give him the inheritance and I'm going to give him all things will be for him. I will divide him a portion with the many that are made righteous through him. And he shall divide the spoil with the ones that overcome and conquer. No matter where you go through Revelations or several other places in the New Testament, you will hear this phrase, To the one who overcomes, I will give him 
crown of life. I will give him the tree of life to eat. I will give him what you hear is this right here. He shall divide the spoil with the strong. With the ones who through the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, they conquer. Because of that, he says, I will divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death. Let me get back here. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. And so there you see a beautiful picture of the gospel, right? Now let's go into the next part. Because remember, mankind in Israel was created to be image bearers of God, right? Those of you that were here last week, you remember? God said, I will make man in my image. Male and female, I made them in my image. Now go out and be fruitful and multiply that image. Dominate, subject every creeping thing. Bring it into subjection. But instead, man fell short of the glory of God and chose to live for himself, right? And the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So instead of being image bearers and bearing children for the image of God, we became image bearers that bear images of ourselves. And that's what we have now. And so now he moves into chapter 54. And keep going with me. <clears throat> Verse 1. He says, Sing, O barren one, who did not bear. In other words, the ones that have not bore my image the way I created you to. The ones that have fell short, I want you to sing. I want you to break forth into singing and I want you to cry aloud. You who have not been in labor, and here's why. Because the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Because Christ has died for our sins and because He has made us one with Him again. Now He says, <clears throat> we are going to bear children together. Now go into all the world and preach this gospel to all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to observe all things that I have commended. And ultimately what you're doing is you're making more and more children for the glory of God. But then he says in verse 2, Enlarge the place of your tent. In other words, get ready to need a bigger house. Enlarge the place, thank you brother, <clears throat> enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. <clears throat> Pray I don't lose my voice this morning. Wouldn't it be a good one to lose it? <clears throat> Is that what it is? Let me, um, <clears throat> let me get comfortable here. <clears throat> He's saying that now Jesus has brought you into a place that because you're in relationship with Him that He has now become your husband in a spiritual sense. And you have now become His wife in a spiritual sense. And what is the command that God gives husbands and wives in the garden? Be fruitful and multiply. And so now he says, because of this Savior, because of what He has done, even though you were a sinner, and even though you didn't bear anything, even though you have seen the error of your way, 
Now I want you to look ahead and sing with joy because between us, between Christ and this church, we are going to need a bigger tent. We are going to need to stretch out our habitation. We're going to need to spread abroad to the right, to the left, because your offspring is going to possess the nations. Verse 4, keep going with me. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. Ultimately, here's what he's saying. You may feel guilty for all of your past. Anybody in here feel guilty for your sin? He says, but listen, I'm not going to remember any of those things anymore. I'm going to remove it from you as far as the east is from the west. Even the ones that killed him, if they come to see who he is and they come to look back and say, I don't know why we didn't see it, but now I know he bore my griefs. He carried my sorrows. It was for my transgressions that he died. Even those, he says, I'm not going to remember your sin. I'm going to cast it as far as the east is from the west. And then verse 5, For the Maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you. Listen, if you have been called, this is for you. If you've heard the call of God to come out of your sin and to accept Christ's sacrifice for it to be made right with God, this is for you. He says, for the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. And he says, this is like the days of Noah to me. As I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you anymore, and I will not rebuke you. In other words, once my wrath moved through and wiped out this world in Noah's day, I was done with my wrath and I was satisfied. And I told Noah, I'll never again do this. I won't destroy the world like this again. And in the same way, Now that Christ has come and He has satisfied the wrath of God and you have accepted it by faith, He says, this is like the waters of Noah to me. The same way that I swore that I'm never going to do this again, I want you to know I'm not going to be angry with you again. I want you to know that now that you have put your trust in me, I have forgiven your past sins, your present sins, and even your future sins are forgiven. That's the gospel right there. And he says that my anger has been satisfied, my wrath has been satisfied, and this is how I feel about you. Verse 10, For the mountains may depart, and the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. This is the doctrine of eternal security right there. Verse 11, O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antimony. I can't say that word, but here's what he's saying. He's saying that even though everything around you may be destroyed, even though my wrath in this world may take away everything you own, maybe even your life, 
He says, I'm going to set stones and I'm going to rebuild your city in a way that you would never have imagined that I could have done this. And then he goes on, he says, I'm going to lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles or your towers with rubies. I will make your gates out of crystals and all your wall of your precious stones. And your children shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression for you shall not fear and from terror for it shall not come near you. If anyone stirs up strife, it is not from me. Whoever stirs up strife with you shall fall because of you. Behold, I have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon for its purpose. I have also created the ravenger to destroy. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. And you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage or the inheritance of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness or their vindication from me, declares the Lord. Now we get to chapter 55. But I want you to be able to put it all together. So I want you to see the whole picture here. He says, I'm going to send a servant. I'm going to send him and he's going to save the world. He's going to pay for all the sins. However, many are going to reject him. However, many are not going to believe. Many are going to one day sit and look back and go, how did we not know it? Some of them get the opportunity while still in this life to be able to see that that was him. He's the Messiah and you have the opportunity to put your faith in him. But then there are going to be some that are going to be on the other side like like, uh, the rich man in Lazarus. He lifted his eyes up in Hades. Lifted it up being tormented in the flame. And he said, Lord, please send Lazarus to just bring me a, a, a little drop of water just to cool my tongue. We're going to be able to, to look back and be able to see that that was him. He was the way. He was the truth. He was the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. But I didn't see it. And so the ones that do see it, they're going to be able to say, surely he bore my griefs. Surely he bore my sorrows. Surely he was crushed for my iniquities. Sure, he died for my sins. And then as a result of that, we get to sing that even though we didn't bear the way we should have and even though we sinned and we fell so far short, he says, sing, I'm not going to remember it anymore. I've removed it from you as far as the east is from the west. I have made a covenant with you that is sure and steadfast. Even if the mountains are removed and the hills are removed, my love will never be removed from you. And then he goes into the end of chapter 54 verse 17 and he says, This is the heritage. This is the inheritance of the servants of the Lord and their vindication from me declares the Lord. And so the invitation is to come to this heritage. The invitation is to get this inheritance. The invitation is to be vindicated or to have righteousness and be cleared of your guilt. And so naturally when we get to chapter 55 verse 1, what is the first word that we hear? If you've got your Bible, somebody tell me. Come. Come. There are some of your versions that say, Ho! 
Some of your versions say, Ho! In other words, let me get your attention. I've got something great for you. I've got something that you need that is more important than anything else in this world. Come, everyone. Come, everyone. This is a heritage that God gives to His people. Come, everyone. This is a righteousness that you need with your God. Come. He says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. First question I want to answer. I've only got three. I'm going to answer them very quickly. First question I want I want to answer: Who's invited? Who gets to come? Everyone. <clears throat> Everyone that's called. Everyone that hears the call. Come, everyone that has heard this call. Come, everyone that God is drawing. Come, everyone that now sees that there is a sacrifice for your sins. Come, everyone that sees that I'm not right with my Creator and I don't have righteousness and I don't have a heritage. Come. Come. The invitation is open. Everyone, here's the first requirement. Everyone who what? So yes, the call is for everyone, but not everyone. The call is for everyone who what? The call is about you having a thirst for this righteousness. The Bible says that no man will come to the Father unless what? Unless God draws him. Unless God draws him. And so here is the thirst that God is drawing in some of you this morning. And you're saying, I look at my life and I know that I don't have righteousness with God. I know where I stand with Him. And I thirst. And here's what He says to you. Come. Come. Everyone who thirsts, we have to see our desperate need for Him. The next person that's invited, everyone who realizes they have nothing to buy, what they need. Look what He says next. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who what? He's got no money. How many of y'all got no money? You got a dollar? We got one that's got a dollar. Come, he who has no money. In other words, here's what he's saying. You don't have what you need to buy this righteousness. You can't afford it. There's nothing that you can do to buy it. And he says to you, come, come. Here's what I've got. Come and buy Come and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. It's already been paid for. And so here's what you need to do. Come. Come and humble yourself before Him. Next, in verse 2, we get the last group that's invited. Everyone who realizes that they're wasting their life on things that can never satisfy. Let me tell you something. This is where the majority of Americans are going to fall into the category right here this morning. So listen closely. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. 
I don't want you to think this morning that it is wrong for us to have possessions because that's not true. When you get into the book of Acts, you'll see that there was a man and a woman named Ananias and Sapphira and they sold this plot of land and they were going to come and give it to the church. Well, they lied about the price that they got for it and they only gave a certain amount of the money but they said, this is all of it. We're giving it all to God. And the Holy Spirit struck them dead for lying. I ain't going to go through the whole details of the story, but here's the biggest point. When Peter come in before he struck the wife dead, when Peter come in and he asked the wife, is this what you're giving to the church? Is this what you're giving to God? And she says, yeah. He said, let me ask you a question. When you had the land and you had the money, was it not yours to do with what you wanted? In other words, there was no law, there was no rule that said that you had to come and give everything you own to God as far as in that manner. But the problem is you lied to the Holy Spirit. You tried to make it look like that you did this great thing. And instead, you were trying to hold back. You were so in love with the world that you couldn't do what you felt like you needed to do. And so here's what he's telling us. He's telling us that don't waste your life on things that are so temporary. Yes, man lives by bread, but man does not live by bread. And so yes, we work. Yes, we labor. Yes, we need roofs over our head. Yes, we, we can have cars to drive back and forth. Yes, we can have things that we enjoy. But why do you labor and you put your life into things that do not satisfy? They come to nothing. And he's saying to you, invest your life into God, into His things, and to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal and rust will never take hold of it in that place. But let me tell you something that all of you know. Anybody in here ever got a new car? You ever had a new car before? Or a new-to-you car? Yeah? How long did it stay new? Anybody in here ever got a new house or a new-to-you house? How, how long did it stay new? Anybody in here ever had a, had a boat or a motorcycle or a four-wheeler or something that was fun that you enjoyed? How long did it take before eventually you didn't even get on it anymore? I got a boat right now that me and one of my best friends and my father-in-law went in thirds on and bought just a little old fishing boat. I don't even know where it's at today. I ain't been in it in five, six years. I got a motorcycle that sits in a shop right down here. I, I've only been on it one time this year, and that was just because I had to work on it. The truth of the matter is, we invest our life into things that do not satisfy, things that are not bread. Look at this verse one more time. Isaiah chapter 55, verse, um, <clears throat> verse 2. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. 
And so this is the last group that's invited. Three groups. First group, everyone who's thirsty. Second group, everyone who realizes, I can't afford it. I, I can't buy it. The third group, everyone who realizes I'm wasting my life away on things that do not matter. Things that are going to fade away. If you're in one of those three groups this morning, guess what he says to you? <clears throat> so, if no money is required to buy, what's required? Well, verse 2, second part of it. He says, listen diligently. Here's the first thing that's required of you. You just have to listen. You just have to listen. And then you have to hear what He says to you. You have to hear that you are in need of a Savior. That you are living your life for things that do not matter. You have to understand and hear that you are thirsty. You need water. And you don't have it. And if you can do that, you're at your first step of having what is required to buy. The second step comes from verse 3. Verse 3 says this, Incline your ear and come to me. First thing you got to do is turn to him. Come to him. You hear him, and then you turn and you come to him. Hear that your soul may live. The second thing, you, or the second thing after you come to him, you believe him. Look what he says next. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for God. You got to turn to Him, you got to come to Him, you got to hear Him, and you got to believe Him. Folks, do you believe this morning that even though you are a sinner, that He says to you, for everybody that's thirsty, I want to make an everlasting covenant with you. I will, look at this again, and I will make with who? God said, I will do it. How many of y'all have trouble sometimes believing in your salvation? You ever sit back and you thought, am I really even saved? First thing you got to do is believe Him. I will make with you. An everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. The next thing, go to verse 6 with me. <clears throat> Seek the Lord while he may be found. The next thing you have to do to buy this... You have to seek the Lord. You have to come and call upon Him. You have to cry out to Him. Call upon Him. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 through 13 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For if the scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call upon Him. Verse 13, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Seek the Lord. Call upon Him. It's, it, it really is that simple. If you hear the call this morning, turn and come to Him. And then seek Him, call upon Him, and then believe Him and trust Him. And now going back to verse um, 7 of, of um, Isaiah chapter 55. Let Him lead you into repentance. 
Verse 7 through 9 says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will what? Abundantly pardon. This is a great invitation that we are given right here to enter into the righteousness of God. And all we have to do is hear the call, trust the call, turn to Him, seek Him, call out to Him, believe Him. And when we do this, He promises, I will make an everlasting covenant with you. And then this will lead you into repentance. Let the wicked man forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I want to read one last scripture to you. For this right here, 2 Corinthians 7.10, listen to what it says. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. This godly sorrow that you feel for your sin, this godly sorrow that if He's calling you, you have it for your sin, He says that it will lead to repentance. It will lead you to turn away from living the life the way that you live now and follow Him. And it leads unto salvation. But if this does not take place, then the truth of the matter is, there probably never was a real call. There probably never was a real turn. There probably was a real, never a real coming to Jesus. But godly sorrow will always produce repentance that leads unto salvation. My last thing. What are the benefits? Well, in verse 2 of Isaiah 55, here's what he said. I'm sorry, not, yeah. Verse uh, 1. He says, Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. The benefit of coming is a true satisfaction, a true peace with God, a true peace of understanding what God has done for you. He says here, come to the waters. In other words, in John chapter 4, he said, I will give you water that will bring life eternal that you will never thirst again. I'm going to give you the water that satisfies completely. And then he says, come and buy milk. Come buy milk. In in 2 Peter he said that like newborn babes in Christ, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. In other words, he's going to give you strength to be able to live out this life for him. And then he says, come buy wine. I know we're in a Baptist church this morning, but let me tell you something. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 104 verse 15 that God made wine to gladden the heart of man. In other words, we abuse it. We abuse it. Sinfulness. But God put it in this place as a, as a thing that brings joy. As a thing for celebration. But it's not wise for us because of our sinfulness, because of what we do with it and where it leads us. But He says here, come by true joy. 
Come by this satisfaction and be truly satisfied with water for life, with milk for strength, with wine for joy. And then finally, the last benefit, this is the end of it, Isaiah 55, verse 10 through 13. Read with me. Actually, we're going to start in verse uh, 12. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into sinking into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands instead of the thorns shall come up the cypress instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle and it shall make a name for the Lord an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off here is the last benefit of coming and receiving God's righteousness he has a place prepared for you where there is no more curse I've said this a lot, but I want to say it again with this group in the room. I want you each to try to imagine the worst moment in your life. Some of you can go there very quickly. Some of you have to take a minute. I want you to think about the worst moment in your life. The moment that you thought this is pure hell on earth. Anybody ever been there? I want you to take that moment right now, and I want you to multiply that times a thousand. And now I want you to let that increase infinitely throughout all eternity. And then you still only have a glimpse of what a complete separation from God will feel like. Because all of your suffering here on this earth is a result of the curse on sin. But right now it's still mixed with grace. It's not all wrath. He wants you to see both. He wants you to see His wrath. And He wants you to see His goodness. You remember Romans chapter 2? For the goodness of God leads us to... He wants you to see both. So now on the other side of it, listen, I want you to think of the, the moment in your life that was pure heaven. Maybe for some of you it was the birth of your child. I, I don't know. But find that moment in your life that was pure heaven. And now I want you to take that moment that you thought you would burst with joy, the, thought, the moment that you thought could last forever and it would truly be heaven, and I want you to increase that feeling by a thousand. And then I want you to let that increase infinitely throughout all eternity, and then you still only have a glimpse of what it will be like in an eternity in a world with God where there is no curse. Which one do you want? That's the question. Here's the invitation. Everybody that's thirsty for righteousness this morning, come. Everybody that don't have no money to buy it, come. Everybody that spends their life pursuing all the stuff of the world that never satisfies, come. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. If you want that this morning, I don't expect many. I don't say that because God can't. I say it because I know that wide is the way that leads to destruction and many are they that go by it. Narrow is the gate that leads to life and few are they that find it. But I believe that there is a call that is going forth right now. He said that like the rain comes from the sky and falls to the ground and waters the earth, it, it, it does not return void. It gives seed to the sower and it gives bread to the eater. And the same way, when my word goes forth, it won't return to me void. It will accomplish the purpose that I sent it out to accomplish. 
And so I believe this morning that God called somebody. I'm asking you this morning, will you respond and will you come? Y'all stand this morning. The invitation is open. If you want righteousness with God, if you thirst for it, if you know your need for it, now is your time to come. If you want the inheritance of the Lord, now is the time to come. Whatever it is that He has spoken to you this morning, if it be anything at all, now is your time to come.